righty, well, good evening everybody and um, welcome to our midweek prayer and devotional service. Thank you for everyone who joined us tonight. Thank you for our, our visitor and uh, for those of you who are listening online, we are so appreciative of that as well. Now, tonight I, I want to spend a brief period of time considering uh, one of the most famous sections in all of Holy Scripture. You know, I started really thinking about and focusing on this passage around Easter, but it seems like every day that goes by, I I just see more and more of the power of God that shines through these words. I I see more and more of of the relevancy um, of these words to our everyday lives, the way that we respond to the world around us. Now, I'm talking about the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus' words to the disciples that we find after his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. Now, for most of us, when we hear, you know, the Great Commission, we start thinking, uh, you know, okay, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and we just, you know, it's just sort of this rhythmic thing, and we sort of think about it, we go, okay, Jesus tells us to go spread our faith, to go make disciples and you know it's just one of those texts that you can just quote from memory and it just seems you know just so basic seems like Christianity 101 just the type of thing everyone's on board with there's not going to be any debates or disputes which if you know anything about Christians and if you spend a lot of time reading theology you know that yes everything will be debated there there's not a a letter in scripture that everyone agrees on but you know, it just seems like, you know, it's just the type of passage that we all just sort of get. But I, I, I don't actually think that's the case. What I find sometimes is that when it comes to portions of Scripture that are so familiar to us, the type, of, like, I mean, Great Commission type of thing, you can memorize the Lord's Prayer. It's the type of thing that you can memorize. Anyone in this room right now could probably recite the Lord's Prayer if I asked them to. But when things just become a part of our memory or they become a part of our culture or our tradition, they can become stale. We tend not to think very deeply about these uh, issues, unfortunately. And uh, and so hopefully we can correct some of that tonight. Um, You know, we want to take another look tonight at, at such a familiar passage and we're, of course, looking in Matthew chapter 28. I'll just read you the passage, starting in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the part that we, of this that we usually spend so much time on is when Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But how many of us actually focus on that word, therefore? 
He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, you've heard some Bible teachers say, and I think it's a pretty good rule of thumb, you know, whenever you encounter the word therefore in the text of Scripture, you should always ask the question, well, what's it there for? And uh, that certainly applies in this case as well. Now, the therefore, what Jesus just said prior, we find in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. All authority, all of it, okay, that's, that's, that's a universal term. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. Belongs to Jesus. Now, for most Christians, when they hear this, it's, it's like all we hear is just words. It's like we're just hearing sounds and, and, and syllables, more or less. It's it's not something that we really think that much about. Why? Well, once again, it's because this has become part of our Christian tradition, part of our Christian culture. We just hear it, you know, same thing with the Lord's Prayer. We just hear these words, and sometimes when we do that, all we hear is, is, is noises, and we don't think about it. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said that all authority in heaven and on earth now belonged to him. It was now his. Jesus, of course, said these words after his resurrection. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we get this language uh, about Jesus and about his resurrection. And, of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that passage where Paul is defending the resurrection not only of Christ but of all believers as well. And he says this in verse 23, he says, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, and he quotes scripture of the Old Testament, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. What's, what's going on there? You know, what's, what's the timeline that Paul is presenting there? Well, he says, Christ, he has been risen from the dead. Then he reigns. Then he reigns. Christ rises from the grave. Okay, there's an empty tomb. Then he reigns. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he says. He reigns. That's what he communicates to his disciples. He is reigning. Well, who's he reigning over? But his enemies. For it says right this, he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. For the promise of that in Scripture stands true. We get this exact same language in Psalm 110, uh, which, by the way, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. In Psalm 110, we read, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The psalm goes on to say, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs 
over the wide earth. So, as I've mentioned, you know, this passage, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament, what's is it saying there? You know, what does it promise other than the simple truth that all of Christ's enemies, again, a universal term, all of Christ's enemies will be made a footstool for him, that he will shatter kings, that he will execute judgment, and all these different things, and we go on and we say, you know, yes, you know, Jesus reigns, Jesus is king. Well, what does it say in Psalm 110, verse 2? Rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, when we think about, you know, Jesus reigning, all authority has been given to him, Christ is king, we say these things, and we tend to imagine a sort of a cartoon picture where Jesus is up in heaven with God the Father, and, you know, from up there he is, you know, sort of pictured on a throne, and, and he's, you know, depicted as king, but then, you know, down here on earth, people are just doing what people want to do. Well, that's not what the scripture says. What it says is that Christ is reigning. And Psalm 110 verse 2 says, rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, how does that work? How, how, how does Christ reign in the midst of his enemies? Well, let's think about those words once again at the Great Commission. All authority on heaven, but not only in heaven, but on earth as well, has been given to him. You know, where, where are Christ's enemies if we wanted to locate them? Well, they're here on earth. They're here on earth. It's the, the secular culture that we live in is an enemy of Christ. The media outlets who want to support and promote every kind of wicked sin and debauchery, they're Christ's enemy. They stand opposed to him. It's the governors of our land and of, of the nations of this earth who want to allow and who want to endorse uh, children having their bodies mutilated and destroyed. Why? Well, because of the transgender uh, culture. Those people are Christ's enemies. Those lawmakers, those politicians, those doctors, they are Christ's enemies. You know, um, and I hate to even say this because it's so troubling. You may have heard a story in the news recently, uh, although probably not because they tend to keep silent about these particular things, but and I think this was in Northern Europe somewhere. I'd have to verify that. But anyways, there was a young man who, you know, he said that he was a girl. And, and I'm not going to repeat all of the graphic and horrid details, but he sought out a particular surgery to have his gender reassigned, and it killed him. He died. A young man made in the image of God, who had value merely because of the fact he was a human. You know, the value of each person comes from the fact that God created you. Human being created by God for God's glory, and he was killed. He died. He lost his life. He is no more. He has perished. He's gone. And the reason that he is dead and gone is because of the wicked lies of sin. Sin killed this man. And the culture that promotes that sin killed him. 
Beloved, the enemies that stand opposed to Jesus Christ are many. Many. And it looks so hopeless. And the typical American Christian goes, see, world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I mean, you got children that are addicted to pornography, you got abortion, you got a, the homosexuality, you got a million other things going on. And the, what, what does the average Christian do other than just become discouraged and, and say all, all hope is lost? And now, this is sort of why I'm talking about this. Because, beloved, I, I am saying this because I love you and I really do care about you. You know, it's like we need to spend a little less time reading the news, a little more time reading our Bibles. Uh, because when I read my Bible, I read these words from Jesus when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I see promises in Scripture about Christ reigning, that he will reign in the midst of his enemies, that he will put all his enemies under his feet. Well, my friends, how does Christ reign in the midst of his enemies? How is Jesus king? In a world that is full of so much sin and so much darkness. Well, that's where we need to focus on the therefore in the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then the logical conclusion of that statement, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, the next thing is, go therefore, okay, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Beloved, Christ exercises his authority on earth when his people go, therefore, and make disciples. When we tell people about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, we sort of look at these things and the wickedness and the sin and, and, and the dark things going on in the culture and in the media and the government. And you have all these people that are so dead and so brainwashed that carry out all the evil things that we see in the world. And you know what's going to stop that? You know what will put an end to that? It is when people have changed hearts. It is when people's hearts are changed. It's when people's eyes are opened. Okay? It's when they see the light. It's when God takes out their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. That's what will defeat the sin in this world. And Scripture promises Christ will put all his enemies under his feet. And so Jesus says, I have all authority. Now go. Now go and make disciples. My friends, the, the actual answer to all of life's problems is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's not an exaggeration. Okay, I, I, I don't say that to just excite your emotions. That's not a, a hyperbolic statement. That is just an absolute and actually undeniably true fact. The solution to every conceivable problem in life is in the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for sinners. And there is not one problem that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot solve. 
Why do we have problems in this world? Because man sinned. Because man sinned. You hear the atheists say, well, I can't believe, you know, how, God, he's all-knowing, he's all-loving, all these things, and yet look at children that die in the womb or look at starving people in Africa. Yeah, you know why children die in the womb? You know why people in Africa are starving and dying every day? Sin. Because man sinned. Lots of talk about, I don't even know if I want to go off on a whole tangent, but, you know, Adam and Eve are in the garden, they're in paradise. What do they do? They sin. They sin. And so what's the tendency of, of Christians? It's to keep silent. It's to keep silent. And how often and how sinfully, and I mean that, I mean sinfully, do we feel ashamed of our Lord? How often has every single person in this room, at one point or another, felt ashamed to speak the truth about the only true Lord and Savior whose name is Jesus Christ? You know, we talk about the churches are struggling and they're dropping in numbers and all these different things, and we say, well, maybe if we have you know, a fancier building, if we have more contemporary blah, 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 you know, people will come. You know what will happen? You know what will draw people unto the Savior? The Scripture says faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and how will they hear unless someone is sent of God to preach them? You see, the solution is for the people in the pews to go and evangelize. We don't evangelize, though, do we? We, we, don't, we don't tell people. We, we don't tell them the truth. We don't tell them the good news. We just don't tell them. And why don't we tell them? Well, you can trace it back to that same problem, which is sin. But you know what's going on there? It's that we're afraid. We don't tell them because we're afraid. We're, we're afraid. What are we afraid of? Well, you know, people will laugh at us. They will that we will look foolish, that we will be unpopular, you know, that we will make a social situation awkward or the most unholy cardinal sin of the 21st century. We might, God forbid, offend somebody. We might offend someone. And there are Christian people tend to be very nice people. And so there's a strong desire in the heart of so many Christians to just not want conflict. Because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so I, I don't want to create conflict. We have to interpret that passage of Scripture with the rest of Jesus' life when he had absolutely no reservations about making conflict. And uh, so because of this nature that a lot of us have, people just keep their mouths shut. They keep their mouths shut and they don't tell people about Jesus. Why? Because they're afraid. Because they're ashamed. And yet I seem to recall our Lord once saying, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, listen up, people. Jesus said this. He said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. So let me ask you, you know, what are you afraid of? Like, actually think about it. Like, ask yourself this question. You know, what am I afraid of? Why are we so afraid to tell people the good news? Jesus has all the authority. He, he has it. I don't have it. He has it. 
in heaven, yes, and on earth as well. Christ is king, and, he's Christ, and Christ is king here. He's ruling in the midst of his enemies. He's got it. He's got the power. He's got all authority, and he will not lose it, for it is a gift to him from his Father. And the promises of God are irrevocable. So we got to listen to our Savior, and we got to go. We got to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus adds this, and many Christians don't, don't even want to follow suit with this themselves, let alone go and tell someone else to do this. But Jesus, nevertheless, also makes this addition. He says, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. What's going on there? God is telling his people to go out into the world and teach them to obey my law. Teach them to obey my law. And we need to teach people the law of God. We, we need to look at sin in our culture and say that is sin. That is sin. You need to have the ability and the courage to look to the, the secular world in the eye and say homosexuality is a sin and God says it's an abomination. Pornography is a sin. Abortion is a sin, etc., etc., because the list goes on indefinitely. It really, really does. Um, there's, there's a lot more that could be said about that point, about certain of the types of things that this culture wants to make normal. There, there really is. But Logan, people will get offended, and they'll be hurt. And I thought we were trying to grow this church. Listen, that's God's job. That's not my job. It's not Pastor Cliff's job. It's not Brother Bill's job. You know, we talk about revival. What's revival? Revival is when the Spirit of God does a great and mighty work in this land. Revival is not when we get together in our meetings and we try and decide, you know, how we're going to manipulate people. That is not our job. God is powerful enough. And, And Christians, this is so encouraging. God truly is powerful enough and has the ability and is sovereign to be able to change the hearts of people. Because it doesn't depend on me and it doesn't depend on you. It's all of him. And you say, well, Logan, that sort of attitude, I mean, that sort of sounds like Calvinism and and what about evangelism? Well, some of the greatest Calvinists that ever lived were some of the greatest evangelists the church has ever seen. Why? Because they believe that God actually had the power that he says in his word he has. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to believe him. But I'm going to believe him, and I encourage you to believe him too. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Holy Trinity and teach them to obey my law. And we don't listen because we're afraid, because we're selfish, because we get discouraged. But, you know, Jesus says, he says, we're the light of the world. What does light do? Light shines in the darkness. It shines in the darkness. And, you know, we're gathered here tonight to pray. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Let us pray that God would help us and God would empower us 
and use us as lights in this dark and dreary world, helping us to recognize how all authority has been given to his son, how we ought to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all he's commanded us. And Jesus' promise is this. He says, and, and these are words, if I ever were to get a tattoo, these would be the words. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. My brother is going to come and lead us in prayer.